We're making a list and checking it twice. You're going to find out today if your brand has been naughty or nice. Abby and I are breaking down the do's and don'ts of strategy, messaging, and design in 2023 and beyond for your brand. Let's dive in. Stay tuned. You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name's Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're going to talk about how to bring your brand to life. All right, Rebecca, do we want to start with the naughty list or the nice list? Oh, I think the naughty list is way more fun. I think so, too. (laughs) It was actually really easy for me to come up with the naughty list things. I was like, wow, I have a lot of grievances, I guess. Yep. You've been bottling it up. Yeah. So I broke this down into two categories in terms of branding no-nos or things that will put you on the naughty list. Because there's the strategy slash messaging aspect of branding, which I really want to address. But there's also the aesthetics and design of branding. And sometimes we just think, oh, if I avoid doing a really bad logo, then like my brand will work. But we know that branding is about so much more than just how it looks. It's really about how you're communicating overall. So I actually want to start with the strategy stuff. And then we'll talk about the design stuff next. That sound good? Yeah. And I think that makes sense because this is more than just like, oh, pink is out and blue is in. Yeah. Right. Your your process is all about explaining why you make strategic decisions. So I think that's good. Let's start with the strategy. Totally. Totally. Okay. The first thing, maybe this is just me complaining, but the first thing that I really feel like puts your brand on the naughty list is manipulative messaging. Ooh. And I actually think that it's really easy to slip into kind of a manipulative, borderline unethical kind of marketing because we're often taught to like address people's fear, dive into their pain points, like talk about their frustrations. And that can quickly turn into using someone's emotions to get them to do something that isn't really best for them. Can you give an example of what that is? Oh, yes. I was going to say, like, I bet you could even say, oh, yeah, I've seen some of these examples. What I see a lot of is income promising. Oh, interesting. If you buy my course, and it's it's not always this direct, right? It's not like if you buy my course, you will make $300,000. But it will be something like you could make six figures just by tapping a few buttons every day, but you're going to scroll past this ad. I hate, I hate that, but you're going to scroll past this, you lazy SOB. Right. And like, if you're not making tons of money completely effortlessly, it's because there's something wrong with you. And if you want to know what it is, buy my $99 course or whatever it is. Right. I see, I see this in two forms. One is a video of someone doing a niche craft, (laughs) like macrame. And then the text over the top will be like, in March of 2020, I knitted my first stitch. Yeah. In December of 2023, I bought my second home with my seven-figure income from being crafty online. Yes. And I'm like, I am pretty sure you are lying. Right. I'm pretty sure that cannot be true. Right. Unless there's a crafting pyramid scheme that I don't know about. In which case, 
please um, let me know how I can join. No. <laughs> and I'm like, best case scenario, they're telling the truth, but it's that's not going to happen for everybody. Right. That's not very likely. Much more likely is either they are oversimplifying what really went into building a business or they're just lying. Yeah. Right? Like they, they don't actually make seven figures. If your fiber art was really that successful, would you have time to sell a course or would you just be manufacturing day and night? Right. And Who's would to you, say? yeah, it all kind of breaks down. And it's hard because people who really need income are going to be mm-hmm. so much more vulnerable to things like that. And I just think sometimes, sometimes it's like, oh, that's a little icky. And sometimes it's like, that's actually unethical. And you can yeah. market that way. Right. I see that also with financial individual financial influencers, which mm-hmm. is a weird, a weird job title that maybe shouldn't exist or should be regulated. Yeah. And people trying to hawk how to gain more credit card points. Yes. Yeah. And I won't name any names, but I know <laughs> of my lawyer friends, there are people that are like shamelessly reporting those people to the FTC and the FCC all the time. Oh yeah. I just read just the other day about a couple that was selling, it wasn't a course, it was some kind of template and they were making promises of how much money you could make and they just had to pay back like $250,000 to everyone who bought that template Oh yeah, false advertising. Yep. That's how you know you're on the naughty list. Yeah. You get sued, you get fined. If you get a class action settlement, you are on the naughty list. Yes. Yeah. So yes. rule number one, stay off the naughty list. Don't lie. Don't yes. tell lies. Yes. And also, honestly, even if let's suppose that you really have made seven figures from your crafting business. Okay. Which I'm like, that's amazing. If you've done that, I'm I'm happy for you. But if the only way that you know how to market is by using your income, you're not actually very good at marketing. That's a good point. Let's raise our standards a little bit and actually provide context and value for people beyond just here's how much money you're going to make. And it's it's just such low hanging fruit because it's such an easy thing that people want. But really, unless you're giving more details, I just don't think it's very fair or really very creative to market that way, which leads me into my second messaging no-no, which is just oversimplifying in general, which sometimes goes along with these promises of income. I'm sure you've seen posts like this where it's like, reach 30,000 followers by doing these three things. Yeah. And it's just, okay, maybe your strategy really is that simple, but more likely there's dozens of factors that helped you grow your audience. And it's a little bit deceiving to say like, all you have to do is post every day and use these hashtags and you're going to have a million followers and make a million dollars. Yeah, I think that's true too. You I know? think those go together. Like one is an outright lie. Right. And the other is just oversimplifying to the point of it being a little bit misleading. Right. And both of these are kind of extreme in the sense that they are not truthful, deceiving, like that, that's kind of the category. Right. I also think that something that can put your brand on the naughty list is just not being very clear and specific in your messaging. Yeah. And I see this a lot more often from coaches and client-based businesses who really want to be communicating their value 
Mm-hmm. They just don't know how to do it. And part of that is because it's just really hard to know what makes you unique without working with somebody who can help you kind of see that. And so yeah. they say a lot of really generic, vague things, and they're not very clear about my services will help you do this through that. Yeah. Basically, good marketing and good messaging is just saying that over and over and over again in creative ways, in different forms. But so often I see people saying things, I'll help you save time and make money. It's like, great. Everybody could say that. Cool. That's not specific enough. But my client, Melanie, who runs a tech agency, she is so clear about, I will save you 10 hours a week and increase your leads by 20% within six months. Yeah, that's very specific. And I'll do it by building you a systemized, automated sales funnel. And think how much how much more you would trust a person that knows they can make that kind of promise to you. Right. Versus someone who's like, oh, if time is money and money is attitude and attitude is your thoughts and your thoughts are your brain. Right. Buy my supplements to change your brain chemistry. And you, like, it's just so attenuated at a certain point. Yes. Well, and sometimes it's not that clear, right? Melanie's really, she's really smart and really lucky because her business gives people these tangible things back in their business, right? Like hours per week, clients. And she's worked really hard to be able to find those numbers and articulate them. But even if you have a different business structure where what you're providing is more intangible, I still think you can be more specific. So rather than saying, I'll give you more time, you can say, I'll help you systemize your business so you don't have to open your laptop at all this weekend. Yeah. That's putting a picture in my mind of what you're going to help me with. That's way more specific than just being like, I'll help you make more time. It's like, okay, of course we all want more time, but how are you going to do that? How do I know that you can really deliver that? All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And honestly, this is what I say all the time, but if you cannot explain really clearly not just what you do, but the value of it to your ideal clients really specifically and succinctly, there is no way that they are going to know what it is. Yeah. And so if you feel like you're kind of wishy-washy or you kind of say different things every time or you're just being really, really general in what you're promising, I think that's a good sign that you can work with a branding expert and really nail that down. And be able to say, like, this is my thing. This is what my brand's all about. These are the promises I'm making. So that's a different form of being on the naughty list. That's good. Are you ready to move on to design? No, no's. Oh, I was just going to say one more thing that puts you on the naughty list, which is in the same category-ish as being too general. This is inconsistency in your branding, specifically in regards to messaging. If you are changing your title your position, your niche all the time, and you're not being strategic about it, that is a big no-no. And here's why. It's totally fine to like find your way on your entrepreneurial path, right? We all have to do that. But if you are just willy-nilly changing things, you're going to end up confusing your audience and they're going to lose trust in you because they're going to be like, I don't know how long she's going to be a business coach because three weeks ago, she was a mindset coach. Yeah. I also think it's the, I see this all the time on the Mm -hmm. internet, by the way, but it's some of this psychological aspect of 
if you say you're an expert at everything, you're probably not an expert at anything. Right. Right. So if you give people a bucket and say, this is my bucket and I'm really good at it, Mm -hmm. they'll eventually learn to trust you. But if you say like, oh, I can do this or this or this, or I could also maybe talk to you about this and I'm an expert at these things. It's like, "Mm, I don't really think anybody can do everything really that well. Right. And this is why when my clients are rebranding, I encourage them to kind of give clues throughout that process in their emails or their social media or whatever to help people see that this is an intentional decision I'm making to make my business more clear to you. This is not just me changing my mind one weekend and then changing my Instagram bio to whatever. I'm going to share an anecdote about this very quickly. Oh, yes. I love it. So there's a fashion blog that I have read for almost 10 years. (laughs) And I, because I'm like a nosy person, Mm -hmm. blogs were just like catnip to me. I loved like an endless scroll blog. Oh, especially back in the day when nobody was trying to be private. It was just like, let me bear my soul in my blog. Yes. And there were so many people just sharing intimate personal details. And I was just eating it up from another Mm -hmm. spot in the country. Yeah. Anyways, so most of those have gone by the wayside, but there is there is a blog. I mean, a fashion blog is kind of reductive, but that's what it is. And I yeah. still read. And it recently went through a rebrand. Uh huh. And I hate the rebrand so much. Oh. Because it used to be like very clean, very serif fonts, traditional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of a minimalist design. But for a fashion blog that has pictures on it, I really thought it worked. Yeah. And now it has this font that I think is really childish and everything is pink. Yeah. And it's I just keep trying to be like, where do I get the reader version of this website? I still will read your content. Yeah. And I I have to wonder, like, someone gave you bad advice. Well, I was going to say, do you think you're still her target audience? Well, that's the thing. So this is, it's a blog for professional women. Right. And it, it's, I would say specifically it targets like conservative offices. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, like, if you're new here, Abby is a lawyer and she works in a law office. Right. right. Like I wear, I wear a blazer most days. Right. Yeah. Because so, I'm like, unless she changed her target audience to like mommy bloggers or stay at home moms or like young 20s. I honestly just think she got bad advice. I know she had yeah. like systems problems with her blog on the back end. Yeah. And so like maybe move to a different service. I don't really know. All I know yeah. is that before it looked like it looks kind of like a newspaper. So it looked yeah. to me like trustworthy, professional, reliable, mm-hmm. and not a lot of not a lot of fluff to it. And now it looks like a little bit immature and even it's millennial pink. So it looks outdated to me. Right. I'm a loyal reader, but it I just wish she hadn't changed it. Like it bothers yeah. me every time I'm on the site. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's naughty list material for sure. And yeah. a good reminder, like I was saying, rebranding can be risky. You have done a lot of work or had your brand for a lot of years because you have people who like your brand and are attached to what is familiar. And when you change that, you lose people. So if you're going to do it, I think you have to do it strategically and say like, I'm really trying to reach a different audience or present myself differently. And it sounds like she just was like, sure, we'll do pink. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, I don't I don't know who she talked to, but Mm-mm. well, it wasn't you. 
was not me. I would love to help her figure out the best way to fix that. (laughs) That's actually a great segue into the design no-nos because I think there's a design element of that that went wrong. so. So again, I have a list. This is a little bit more chaotic because I was just like, and you know what else I hate? I hate this. (laughs) I'm curious to hear what you think. What are the little icon? Yes. That are on the naughty list. I basically made this list of just overused generic elements that I see all the time in logos. And disclaimer, with anything with design, I think a good designer can help you use it effectively right? Like these are not hard and fast rules. And maybe that's just me covering my butt because I've done logos with all of these elements. Yeah. Um, I was like, I've seen some of these before. Yeah. But if you, if you're doing it strategically and you have a good reason for it, that's great, but don't just do it because you think it's cute. Okay. So this is my list. Number one, most overused iconic element in a logo, flowers, wreaths, leaves, branches, anything in that realm. Yeah. It's not that you should never, ever, ever do it. But like I said, I think you have to have a really good reason. And if that reason is not, I'm a florist or a wedding planner. Seek help. Call 911. (laughs) No, just really, really think about it because those are very, very common elements. And even when I was in college, I remember designing logos and my teacher would be like i don't want to see any leaves like any (laughs) any leaf you're going to design i've seen it before yeah not special don't do it (laughs) so i think you have to be really careful with that other elements that i think are really overused bees and again i've done a logo with a bee but i was very careful to do something that was unique and not a generic clip art yeah if you are searching any kind of clip art and downloading it for your logo a you're probably practicing copyright infringement. You're probably stealing. Yeah. Sorry. But B, if it's just something that you can buy, that means that anyone can buy it. So it's not yeah. going to be original. And the whole point of having a brand is to stand out. So Bs, um, a lot of like celestial elements, like stars, moons, suns. Yeah, I do the- feel like I feel like there's been a zodiac trend. Oh, yes. Yeah. One that I have seen a lot of lately that I wouldn't say was overused until maybe the last year or so is hand elements. I don't oh, know if you've seen this where there it will be like two hands and there's a star between them. It's mm, like, okay, now yes, I of, have seen those. Yeah, definitely in the realm of spiritual, ethereal kind of brands. And the reason that these elements become overused is because at one point they are appropriate for the brand. And then as soon as everybody gets that idea, it's like, uh, not that special anymore. Yeah. So same thing, like I did a butterfly brand for my client, Courtney, and butterflies are used in lots of brands, but her particular style was really strategic because it was like this hand. I wanted to look like it was cut out like a Matisse style butterfly because her brand was about finding the beauty in imperfections, working with special needs students and helping them communicate and like reach their potential. So this idea of a butterfly that is typically perfect looking more crude was a good representation for that brand. And I've never seen anything like it. It says it's really worked well for several years. You just have to have somebody who knows what they're doing. Along with that, I'm taking a risk with this one, but I feel pretty strongly about this. Cursive 
in your logo can pretty quickly put you on the naughty list unless you are working with a designer who can customize that type and make it really, really classic and not super trendy. So is it the is it the trendiness about cursive that makes it on the naughty list or is it the readability? It's both. I was going to say it's the fact that it's really, really trendy, especially a cutesy handwritten font. I mean, you could show me a handwriting font and I could probably tell you, oh, that was popular in 2016. That was popular in 2019. Yeah. Like it just comes and goes really, really quickly. So I always recommend if you want to do cursive, I'm doing a brand with cursive in it right now. And we're doing something that feels much less trendy. It feels far more like a traditional calligraphy is the wrong description, but like a Coca-Cola style cursive. Okay. And and it's not going to be as trendy, right? Like nobody's going to be like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. Yeah. They're going to say, wow, that's really sophisticated. Yeah, that's really professional. That feels really elevated. Like that's what we're going for. You know, also, if you're developing a brand and you want to use cursive, just keep in mind that nobody under age 15 even knows what that is anymore. It's so apparently they don't teach it in schools. And so it's just this mystery language hieroglyphics for old people. That's what it is. It's so true. I think readability is something to consider. Okay, last thing on the naughty list for design is anything on Canva. Canva is out for 2024. You hear to hear first. And I have good reason for this. And you guys know I did. I did use Canva this evening to make my uh, replacement Christmas cards after I shipped the first batch to the wrong address. But I'm done. This is the last time. I use Canva literally every day. I love Canva. It is part of my workflow just as much as industry standard Adobe products. Like I really think that Canva is a great software. The issue with Canva is that we are reaching this saturation point where Mm, so many people are using it and they're not customizing it that I, and again, you guys know that I'm the all-seeing eye of the internet. (laughs) I see these posts and I'm like, Canva template, Canva template, Canva template, Canva template. Yeah. And there's actually something in the advertising world called banner blindness. Okay. What does that mean? It's basically a phenomenon where our brains are really good at recognizing things that look like advertisements. Interesting. And we ignore them. And so I don't know if you saw this, but I'm going to describe this template and imagine in your minds. I bet you saw it. Okay. There was a black. I'm going to close my eyes. Okay. There was a Black Friday Canva template that was a square image with a neutral background, a spot for your product with like a drop shadow. And then there were two ribbon banners behind it crossing each other. And it would say like Black Friday sale, Cyber Monday sale, 50% off, 50% off, 50% off. Kind of looking like a present, kind of looking like ticker tape. Yeah, I, sw- I swear I got this in the mail. Oh, yeah. somebody. Yeah. Literally, I saw probably a dozen of these. I was like, should I just screenshot all of these and put this in a post? Like, hey, don't use this template anymore. Everyone's ignoring it. Yeah. We've seen it. The banner blindness with that kicks in so quickly. So that's fascinating. It is really fascinating. So it's not that you can't use Canva and it's not even that you can't use Canva templates, but you have to customize them to your brand. You can't use generic messaging and you can't use generic design elements. They have to be custom to your brand. 
And when they are, like, that's when the magic happens because nobody has seen anything like that. And they can say, like, oh, even without seeing your logo, I recognize that post as Rebecca Peterson Studio. Yeah. Because it's so recognizable. And that's what well, we and what a good what a good concept to apply to other aspects of branding, too, is that like your brain is really smart. Yes. And our brains don't want to connect with advertisements. They want to connect with like a message and a person and you yes. know, an identity, a value. Yes. That's super cool. I've never heard of that before. Oh, yeah. It's actually super interesting. Even the research will show you things that are not advertisements, but are designed in the manner of an ad. Uh-huh. Who will not read them like they're it's, so it's almost like their brain just won't let them because it's like eh, you don't need this which is also cool because it forces us to innovate and say like okay how can we make our marketing interesting and make sure that people don't scroll by it and also that it's not manipulative and people who don't know about this i think there's a lot of people who are trying to gain legitimacy by making their brand look more like an advertisement yep And for a lot of people, that's going to be the wrong move. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So this brings me to the last naughty list item, which I hope will transition us into some of the nice things. But when I was going through like, really, what is it that makes your brand not work? I like to think of it as congruency versus incongruency. Is incongruency even a word? Mm, I'll allow it. (laughs) If it was Scrabble, I might get kicked out. sometimes I talk to my clients about visual congruence which is like making sure that your visuals are aligned with the strategy that you're using but what I'm talking about here is much more broad in terms of I need you to be in integrity between what you're selling and how you're showing up online and I feel like this is like the secret to a strong personal brand that people aren't talking about very much because if you are these are my two examples if you are selling digital products where you're like, you can make money in your sleep, then it is totally fine to show up in your pajamas and be a hot mess and like need your coffee to function. Okay. But if what you are selling is high level strategic business coaching to help someone make $250,000 a year and take home six figures in profit, I don't think you should be showing up in your pajamas. Mm. I think you need to have your crap together a little bit more. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you have to fake it. But I think people can sense when there's a breakdown between like what you're selling and the way that you're selling it. Yeah, you have to be you have to be the message. Right. So, for example, my client and friend, Brooklyn Jolly, she sells hypnotherapy crafts and she has like a, a membership where you can get, it's a whole library of hypnotherapy resources. So it's like hypnotherapy when you need to set a boundary with a client. Hypnotherapy when you want to make more sales, you know, kind of these specific things. And we were talking about it. You know, I said, when you're selling hypnotherapy, which is supposed to be easy, it's supposed to feel really good. It's supposed to be really relaxed. Your messaging can't have this urgency. You're in trouble. You've got to have this. This is the solution. And here I am showing up really frantic and stressed. Yeah. You've got to be the brand and say, my business is easy. My life is slow paced. Here I am Mm -hmm. in the tub listening to my hypnotherapy. (laughs) 
<laughs> while I'm making money, right? And Brooklyn's really good at doing this, <laughs> but there has to be that congruence between what you are selling and the way that you're showing up. And I think a lot of people are missing that. Yeah. A book that I really respect, it's it's about leadership, but it's called Multipliers. Mm-hmm. I love that And one. a line from that book that I think about all the time, if you haven't read it, it's by Liz Wiseman. She says, you cannot minimize someone into being a multiplier. Oh, interesting. You can't you can't micromanage or diminish someone mm. to maximize their talent. Like you mm. have to be mm-hmm. you have to be the message. You have to live yes. and practice what you preach. Yes. Yeah. And the people who have the strongest brands and the best businesses are doing this really well, where it's like they're they are walking the walk of what yeah. they're telling people and it works. So on the nice list for strategy and messaging. I have, I was thinking about like, what is it that people do that I feel like is really working? And I feel like for a long time, when people would get on video, they would have like Uh a catchphrase, like, hey guys, I'm popping in. I just wanted to say, (laughs) and I feel like that's out, but I feel like sign-offs are totally in. Okay. Maybe someone tell, someone tell those Bama Rush girls, they got to change their catchphrases. (laughs) (laughs) I love those accounts. I think it's really fun to, you know, like, love you, bye, catch you later, see you soon. Even some of my clients like sign off their emails with not just thanks, Rebecca, but they actually put in like a PNG of their signature. Oh, okay. Because they really want this to be like, this is a letter from me to you. Like, this is a personal email. And I feel like that's such a great way of really putting your own personality into it and kind of a visual way of telling people that. So I think that's something that people can do and stop having the same sign on every time. I think that's dead. Okay. Another strategy aspect that Abby and I talked about, which I hope is true, (laughs) is I think that siblings are in. We're manifesting it for 2020. (laughs) Siblings are going to top the chart. And we are not the first sibling podcast out there. We're not even the first one that I've listened to. Oh, yeah. No, I've listened to a few others. But like we were saying, it used to be that there were couples and then there were like best friend influencers. And now I think siblings are coming up there. Yeah. Families with young children are out. (laughs) No one no one wants to see that anymore. No one wants your gentle parenting advice. (laughs) Something the the last thing with messaging that I think puts you on the nice list, which will always put you on the nice list, is taking a stand. And I don't mean that you have to have opinions about every single thing that happens in the world. But if you want to position yourself as an expert, I think in the realm of your industry or business, you need to have some opinions. You need to be able to say, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. And here's why. If If you're a yes man, it just doesn't mean anything. So if you're not in a place where you feel like you can have strong opinions about your work, then I think that is your work to figure out what is my process? What do I believe? I have a lot of thoughts about branding and the best way to do it. And that's because I've done it for several years now. Yeah. I don't think you can just make it up. But I do think that if you have thoughts, you should share them more. I like that. And I like tying it to, like we were talking about before, knowing and being able to articulate what your expertise and specialty is. Yes. Instead of just saying, oh, here's what's in the public, here's what's in the zeitgeist, and here's me reacting to it somehow yeah. in the same language as everybody else who's reacting to it. Yes. But if you, 
I think if you really do feel strongly about your work and you're passionate about it, like a lot of your clients do, it's easy to Mm -hmm. have a strong opinion and, you know, take a stand. Yeah. And look at any industry. There are experts who disagree. Yeah. You do not have to think the same as every other person in your niche. You can choose your own approach to things. And even like if you listen to last week's episode with Cobb, I think I said a few times, I see everything through the lens of your brand. That is my bias. Yeah. And you may you may not like that, but you might also resonate with that and say, I want somebody to help me see things through the lens of my brand. Yeah. So I don't, I don't shy away from that, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes people, people feel like they always have to speak up about things that they're not informed about. But yes. if you're really invested in your own right. growth and your own understanding of your industry, you won't feel like you're uninformed. Right. So let's end with three things that I think will put you on the branding nice list for 2023 and beyond. Number one, higher contrast colors. You guys, it's time. You're all killing me with your pastel color palettes. I can't read anything that anybody is posting. I'm like, can you put the text in black, please? Or like a navy or a brown. (laughs) I'll take anything. But for readability and accessibility, this is a must. And this also goes back to using Canva templates. Some of them are really well designed and some of them are not. So I think higher contrast is going to put you on the nice list. Next thing that I love to see is hand-drawn elements, custom textures, custom icons. And I really think the reason that these stand out is because there are so many templates and downloadables that anybody can get. Like I love to custom make icons for my clients because I'm like, nobody is going to have these. Yeah. It's just, it's the next level of being able to differentiate your brand. So I think it's important that like you find not just, oh, this is kind of different, but this is truly a one of a kind element. Right. Even the backgrounds that I put on my clients' websites, like those are not downloaded anywhere. I create those. Nobody else is going to have them. Like they are completely unique to my client. So that should be the bar. Last thing is I think minimalist design is on its way out. We've kind of seen this in interior design. And I think it's also coming through in more graphic and digital design. Maximalist design is the new thing. I agree. I'm ready for stuff to feel fancy again instead of everything feeling like it's a little bit watered down. Yes. I think we've seen so much beige and tan and blush. And and white kitchens down with the white kitchen. Hey, I still love a white kitchen. But yes, my clients' brands often have a lot of color because I'm like, this is your personality. Your personality is not this boring black and white vibe. Yeah. You have something really cool to offer. One thing of our think of our most boring sibling. Don't say their name out loud. But just think in your heart and think of how many wonderful, colorful things you did for them. So it can be done, even if you are boring. I'm going to close with this quote about color in art because I love the science and the artistry involved in this. Okay. This is from Dr. Shivani Katan, who is an expressive arts therapist who studies the connection between art and anxiety and basically how it affects our nervous system. Hmm. Okay, this is what he found. Colorful artwork can trigger the release of dopamine, 
a neurotransmitter associated with pleasure and reward, leading to feelings of happiness and well-being. Wow. So I think in 2024, we're going to see more color. We're going to see more differentiation. People are going to use all of the resources that they have to stand out online because there's a saturation point that we're reaching. And I'm excited to see that. Cool. Well, that's it for us this week. Come back. I think this is the last episode we'll have in 2023, is it not? Yes, I think it is. Okay. Well, everyone have a happy new year. We will be back for season two in 2024. Thanks so much for joining. See you guys soon. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aesthetically Speaking. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a nice review or connect with us on Instagram at Rebecca Peterson Studio. 